Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Church, good morning. Uh, it's a great joy for me to share God's word with you this morning. For those who are here in person, and uh, for those who are watching from home online, you know, as we begin this new chapter as a church family here at Kenmuir, uh, we are also closing our series on the attributes of God, um, and with this final message. If you recall, we began this series when the pandemic first struck several months ago, and um, we've continued throughout the summer. The main point I'd like you to take away from today's message is this. God is righteous. We are not righteous. And only God can make us righteous. If If you remember nothing else from what I am to preach, remember, God is righteous We are not righteous, and only God can make us righteous. So let's begin with this word, righteous. Righteous. It's not a word we use commonly in conversation, is it? I can't remember the last time someone commented on my righteousness. Um, But this word, righteous, what does it mean? When we say God is righteous, what are we really saying? We are saying God is right. God is right. That's what we mean when we say God is righteous. And that sounds very simplistic. So let's go a little bit deeper. In what way is God right? Okay, in what way is God right? Well, first, God is morally right. That's what we usually mean. When we say God is righteous, what we mean is he is morally right. He's good. He is virtuous. He never does what is wrong or uh, immoral or evil. That's what we usually mean when we say God is righteous. He's morally right. But the word righteous in Hebrew also carries another sense besides moral. It means God is forensically right. Forensically right. Now, what does that mean? Uh, If you know me, you know that I love a good detective show. You know, the careful gathering of data from a crime scene, uh, DNA uh, analysis, fingerprint testing, um, uh, phone tracking, using all kinds of techniques to finally identify the true culprit. That's forensics. So when we say that God is forensically right, what do we mean? We mean that under the scrutiny of all testing, after every last technique has been thrown at him and all your investigations are completed, what will be your conclusion? God is right. God was right after all. Blameless, innocent, justified, not a shred of evidence 
against him. Not a single contradiction in his testimony. So this is what we mean. When we say God is righteous, we mean he is right. Both morally right and forensically right. Now I can stand behind this pulpit and I can um, tell you God is righteous. But let us be honest. If we stepped outside the safety of our church, what would happen to this claim? What would happen? I want you to think. Think of your neighbors, of your friends, your co-workers, even your families. Does our society accept that God is righteous? Do they? No. They don't. And why not? Why don't they accept God is righteous? Here it is. Because what our society believes is right does not line up with what God says is right. If you don't believe me, just turn on the news. What, what is right, what God says is right, is not right in our society. What he says is wrong is not wrong to them. This is our dilemma. You see, we live in a world where everyone does what is right in their own eyes. You know it's true. That's the world we live in. God is not righteous to them. He's, just, he's not morally good or, or true or just. His word, the Bible, is unacceptable at best and evil at worst. So this is our dilemma. How are you and I to believe that God is right when the world believes he is not? This is our dilemma. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm 19. This is where we'll spend our time this morning as we examine this claim that God is righteous. I'm just going to pray again. If you don't mind, would you join me in prayer as we dive in? God, would you reveal yourself to us in creation, in your word. Help us see that you are righteous, that we are not, and only you can make us righteous. In Christ we pray. Amen. 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 So I hope you're there. Psalm chapter 19 in your Bibles. It'll come up on the screen as well. You know, how do we know God is right? That's the question I posed. How do we know God is right? Well, there are many passages we could look at to understand the righteousness of God. But to answer this question, to answer the question, how do we know God is right? The first thing we must answer is this. How do we know anything about God at all? That's the first question, really. Because do you know there are skeptics out there who will say that Christians, like all other religions, have simply, we've made up a God of our own imagination. That's what they say. And so in your imagination, God can be however you like him to be. He can be righteous, he can be unrighteous, it doesn't matter. It's all up to you because it's all relative. But in Psalm 19, David is absolutely clear, hear me, it was not human invention 
or uh, wishful thinking that revealed God to us. My friends, it was God who revealed himself to us. Just, just, God reveals himself to us. What I am saying is, you have not been left here on this earth without a way of knowing God. Just think about that. He has not concealed his identity so that only the select few can find him. Only the elite can find him. No, God has revealed himself to you. The question is, how? How has he revealed himself to us? Look at verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. God has revealed himself to you in creation. Please don't miss this. He has revealed himself to you in creation. And this is what theologians call the general revelation of God in nature. In nature. Just look out a window. That's what David is saying. Go outside and look up at the heavens. See the expanse of the sky. See the clouds in their formations. See how small you shrink as you fathom the heights above you. Do you know that you could run as fast as you wanted, and when you were done running and you look up, behold, the heavens will still be above you. And the sky will still be all around you without limit as far as your eye can see. What is David saying? David is telling us that those heavens, those skies are saying something to you. They're telling you something. It's not audible. It, it, this is metaphorical language, but he's, the, the heavens and the skies are telling us something. What are they saying? Look at verse 1. The heavens declare what? The glory of God. The glory of God. What's glory? Glory is the sum of all of God's attributes. Everything we've covered in this series till now, all of those attributes together displayed visibly to us, that's God's glory, and the heavens declare it. The heavens declare it. What more? Look at verse 1. The skies proclaim His handiwork. Think about this. When you look up at the sky... You are looking at the work of God's very own hands. This is how we know God is right. This is how we know that God is right, that we didn't just appear from nothing, the universe didn't just pop out into existence. And if you look up at the sky and you don't see that, if you can't see that, I want to ask you, I want to plead with you, look again. Look again and again, because what can be known about God is plain. It's clear. God is revealing himself to you. His eternal power, his divine nature, they have been clearly perceived in the things that he has made ever since the dawn of time. It is so clear, listen, my friends, it is so clear 
that you and I have no excuse. We don't have an excuse. You can't look up at the sky and deny that God exists, that he is right. Only unrighteousness can suppress that truth. More on that later. Okay, just park that in the back. We'll come back to it. Look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. What is David saying? He's saying that every day and night that passes, okay, every single day that passes, creation is revealing knowledge. Knowledge of whom? Knowledge of God. Not a single day goes by without witnessing to God. Look at verse 3. There is no speech. Look at verse 3. Nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. What is he saying? No matter where you are on earth, this is not a message for certain geographic locations. No matter where you are on earth, you could be on a deserted island in the middle of an ocean. Or you could be stuck in the heart of a jungle. Your phone reception may go silent, but the voice of creation is never too soft to hear. No human is left out. No one is deaf to nature revealing God to us. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. David turns his attention to the sun. Okay, the sun. In the heavens, God has set a tent for the sun. Skip down to verse 6. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit is to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. This is, this is huge. Make sure you, you follow me here. There is nothing hidden from the heat of the sun. David says, consider the sun. Even when you can't see its light, think about at nighttime when you can't see the light of the sun, you still experience what? It's heat. You still, isn't that remarkable? You can't see the light of the sun, but you still experience its heat. There is no place you can go on earth to escape or to avoid the heat of the sun. That's how powerful the sun is. What's his point? If you cannot hide from the heat of the sun, can you hide from the God who made the sun? No. God has revealed himself to us all. That's David's point here in the first six verses of the psalm. God has revealed himself as who he is. God is right. God is righteous. God is glorious. He's revealed himself. And as compelling as this sounds, David tells us that even more specifically than nature, because nature is general, right? It's kind of, it could be perceived vaguely. But even more specifically than nature, God has revealed himself to you. David's about to tell us here in this psalm. Even more specific than nature, he has revealed himself to you in his own words. In his own words, he has revealed himself to you. Let's take a look at that. Verse 7. Look at verse 7 in your Bibles. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, 
making wise the simple. So how do you know God is righteous? How do you know? You know He is righteous because of His Word and what it does to you. That's how you know He's righteous. See what David says. The law of the Lord is perfect. Which means there's no imperfection in it. There's no need for uh, supreme courts to revise God's law every few decades. That's not how it works. His law is perfect. And how do you know that? Because the proof is in what the Bible does to you. What does the Bible do to you? It revives your soul. It gives life. It transforms. It refreshes you. Look, at, look, look what he says in, in, in the verse. The testimony of the Lord is sure. What does that mean? It means God does not lie. God doesn't manipulate the truth like, like a false witness called to the stand. That's God's testimony, His Word, is absolutely trustworthy. Trustworthy. And you know that because it makes simple people like you and me, no offense, but you are and I am, it makes simple people like you and me wise. It makes us wise. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. What are precepts? What are commands? These are orders. From a governing official passing down orders, that's what they are. So, so, so David is saying that what God orders in His Word is right. And, and we as a society, we have this twisted because we think we get to define what is right. But no, God defines what is right. God defines what is just. We don't get to do that because we're not God. And what God orders in His Word is pure. Look at the passage. It says, God, what He orders, is, His commandment is pure. It's uncontaminated. He doesn't, he doesn't have any evil motive to what He does. It's pure. And how can we prove this? I want to challenge you, especially those who don't believe in God or don't follow the gospel of Christianity. How do you prove that God is right? Look at people who follow God's precepts and commands. I'm not talking about namesake Christians. There's lots of namesake Christians, right? Who just claim to be Christian or claim to be whatever it may be, but they don't follow it. But those who really are saved, who really follow the precepts and commands of God, look at what happens in their life. See what joy fills their hearts. Isn't it true? The joy that fills the heart of true believers their eyes are enlightened to understand as never before. And if you are a Christian this morning, can you not attest to this in your own life? It's true. This is what happens when you follow God's, God's precepts, His commands, His orders. This is what happens. Your life is full of true joy. And if you don't follow God's precepts, or you don't follow God's commands, and you wonder why sorrows are filling your heart or why your sight seems so bleak, here lies the reason. Look at verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, 
enduring forever. The rules or the just decrees of the Lord are true and they are righteous all together. The fear of the Lord here, it just refers to God's word again, the teaching of God. So David is saying the teaching or God's word is clean. There's no filth herein. It's clean. The rules of the Lord are true. They are not false. No one is trying to deceive you. No one is trying to mislead you. God is speaking the truth. And they are righteous all together, which means all together. This is why, Christians, we cannot pick and choose what part of the Bible we want to follow. Why? Because His rules are righteous altogether. All of it is true. All of it is right. All of it is clean. And not only for our time, but also for all time. Because it says the Word endures forever. God's Word is not going away, church. You know, society is trying to put the Bible on the back shelves or hide it somewhere or even throw it out can't do that because his word endures forever. It endures. So this is how we know God is righteous. We know through nature and we know through his word. And now David is going to turn to you and I as listeners and he's going to spell out what we must do. He's going to spell it out. Look at verse 10, please, in your Bibles. Verse 10. See what he says. He says, more to be desired are they, speaking of God's word, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, the drippings of the honeycomb. Verse 11, moreover, by them, by God's word, is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. There's great reward. God's words are so righteous. Here's what David is saying. They are so righteous that you would desire and delight in these words more than you desire fine gold. Do you love gold? (laughs) It's not a question you can answer, I guess. But some of you do. Even if you desire fine gold, The word of God is more of a delight than even the finest gold. The treasures of this earth don't compare to what we have here. Okay, you don't love gold. Do you need a food analogy? You need a food analogy. Okay, here it is. God's words are so righteous. They they bring more pleasure than the finest of tastes. Sweeter than honey, David says. And here comes the challenge. Look at verse 11. Here's the challenge. There's a warning and there's a promise. Do you see it? There's a warning and a promise. If you read God's word, you and I can be warned. And you're thinking, okay, well, what do I need to be warned about? Warned about what is wrong in the world. The Bible warns us about what is unrighteous. Warns us that there are consequences to living life that way. There are consequences to living apart from God, not getting right with God. Warn that that the wages of sin is death, which is eternal separation from God. This is how the Bible warns us. But there's also a promise. Do you see it? In verse 11, what's the promise? 
that by keeping these words, okay, if you can keep God's word, if you can be righteous, as righteous as God's word is, there is great, what? Reward. Great reward. Now, this sounds quite straightforward, right? Keep the word, keep God's righteous word, and you and I can earn great reward. That's how simple this is. And yet, can we do this? Can can any of you fully keep God's word? No. You can't. I can't. We can't. None of us. Can any of us live as righteously as God? No. We are doomed. You see, David has written about the righteousness of God, the glory of God, which is revealed in the heavens, in the skies, and in the scriptures. And now, in light of how righteous God is, we've covered it. In light of how righteous God is, how do you, you, how do you think you measure up? How do you and I measure up against a God that is that righteous? You see, the Bible doesn't tell us that we are righteous, church. It shows us that we are not. We are not righteous. We're not. Look at verse 12. David poses a question, a rhetorical question in verse 12. Look at the question. He says, who can discern his errors? David gets it. David understands. Who can discern it? In light of all of this, how righteous God is, how glorious He is, can any of us fully know all the ways we've even done wrong in our own lives? David, how can I? Look at how righteous God's word is. I can't even discern my own errors. What does he mean? You know, there are things that you have done. I'm speaking to each one of us, myself included. There are things that you have done which you know are wrong. You know, you know it's sinful, and yet you willfully, deliberately, you did it. Right? That's what the Bible calls presumptuous sins. Verse 12, presumptuous sins. But there are also things, and I'm saying this not to frighten you, but it, but it might There are also things you have done which are still wrong and they're still sinful, but you don't even know yet. Isn't that frightening? You don't even know that what you're doing is wrong. You don't know. They're unintentional. These are hidden faults. But they're still sinful. I hope you get the picture that David's painting here. Do you remember the sun from earlier? Nothing is hidden from its... Heat. You remember that? Just like the heat of the sun searches every nook and cranny on this earth such that no one and nothing can be hidden from the heat of the sun, David is saying the Word of God searches every inch of your life so that no sin is hidden from God. No sin. We all look holy and righteous today. 
But God sees everything. And as futile as it would be to try to hide from the heat of the sun, would it be futile for you and I to think we can hide our sins from God? We can't. And if this is how much God knows about you, I just want you to let this sink in. If God knows this much about you, what is your defense? What is your defense? What will you say? God knows this much about you. Your presumptuous sins, your hidden faults. You can't even count the multitude of your own sins, right? You don't even know how many, the multitude, how much. The the point is, we are not righteous. God is righteous, but we are not righteous. We're not. Not even one of us. No one. No one seeks for God on their own. No one does good um, without selfish motives. You know that in this world. That's real. That's the real dilemma. This is the real dilemma. We have all turned aside from the righteousness of God. All of us. I want to address something I asked you to park earlier. Do you want to know why our society does not believe God is right? Um, It's not because they don't know. They, don't, they know he is right. That's what, that's what we've established, right? Whether it's through nature or even through the Bible, people know God is right. So if they know God is right, why do they suppress that truth? Why? It's because, I'm going to tell you, it's because we are so unrighteous that we have chosen not to honor God as God. That's why. We, as a society, we are so unrighteous that we've chosen not to honor God as God. We claim to be wise. And what do we do? We have made ourselves God. You may say, well, when have I done that? When you determine what is right and what is wrong, you are taking the place of God. And so what happens is this. When the word of God then comes before you, and it doesn't support what you're doing, it doesn't support your lifestyle, it doesn't support the sin that you've chosen to, to continue in, what do you, what do, you do? You're, you're at a crossroad, now you have to decide what to do. You disregard the word. You you suppress it. You say, I'm rejecting that. Not because you don't know God is right. It's because to acknowledge God is right means to honor him as God, which means to go by what he says is right, which means to change your life. And you don't want to do that. So I think it's okay for us to to, 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 to debate back and forth as long as we acknowledge the real root of why people... Don't accept that God is right. It's because we have claimed to be God so that we can continue to do whatever is right in our own eyes. You know, what a sad state we are in. I just want you to 
understand the society we're living in right now. If you look at these verses from, this is all taken from the psalm. Can you see the death of souls? Can you see the lack of wisdom? The embrace of foolishness? Can you see the sorrow in people's hearts? These are all the opposite of what what we looked at in Psalm 19. Can you see the dirt and filth and impurity that abounds? Can you see the lies that people believe? The wealth which is never enough? The, 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 The food that never satisfies them? This is the sad state that we're in. And here, David has promised great reward if we can only keep God's word. But the truth is, we can't. We can't. So what do we do? Well, the solution is astounding. Look at verse 12. Three words. I want you to zone in on. In verse 12, David says, Declare me innocent. David says, declare me innocent. It's almost comical, right? Uh, God is righteous. You are not righteous. And David has the audacity to ask God to just declare me righteous, which means acquit me, right? Like declare me innocent, declare me blameless, clean. How could he ask this? Just think, just think about this for a minute. How could you ask this? If God is morally right, right? Or if, if God is forensically right, how could he just overlook all your wrongs? He can't do that and just declare you innocent. Do you realize who David was? David was an adulterer. Some people even say because he was a king and, and this, was a, this was a member of his... He was a rapist. David was a murderer. Now, I want you to think of our society today. How outraged would our society become today if murderers and rapists escape justice? You just need to watch the news, see all the protests. You know how society would react. If murderers escape justice, if they were merely declared innocent, what would happen today? We would look at our judicial system and we would say, it's corrupt, it's broken, it's unjust, wouldn't we? Come on. We would. So if that's the case, how then can God, the judge of all the world, all the earth, how can he just declare unrighteous people like you and me righteous? How can he do it? Well, the answer is in verse 14. Look at verse 14. Let's read that together as we come to a close. Verse 14, David says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable or right in your sight. That's what he's asking. Let it be right in your sight. And then look what he says. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. My redeemer. So David is asking God to make his words, to make his heart acceptable or right in God's sight. He's asking him to do that. And how God can do this is given in the final word of this psalm. David calls God my redeemer. My rock and my redeemer. 
What's a redeemer? What is a redeemer? A redeemer is someone who pays the price to free you from slavery. That's what a redeemer is. A redeemer is someone who delivers you from certain death. Someone who takes the cost or the punishment that you deserved. And this, dear friends, is how God can make us righteous in his sight. This is how he does it. God takes the punishment for your sin. He takes it. He puts forward his only son, Jesus, to come to this messed up world and yet to obey the righteous word of God through and through. A hundred percent. And though he did not deserve to die, he chose to die for us. He lived the morally and forensically righteous life that you and I could never live. And then he took our unrighteousness. He took our sin and he was treated as though he committed those things. That's how he was treated. He shed his blood on the cross to pay the price to redeem you. That's why he's our redeemer. This is God's gift. We've sung about it. This is God's gift to humanity. The gift of his grace, his son Jesus. I want to tell you what God is willing to do because this is going to just blow your mind. If you receive this gift by faith, if you will receive this gift by faith, I want to tell you what God is willing to do. He will take Jesus' perfect life. You know, your life is over here. It's all messed up. Jesus' perfect life, his morally righteous, his forensically righteous, you can't find a single blemish in that life. He'll take his perfect righteousness, and what will he do? He will transfer it to your account. We need to understand this. You and I have no way of making up for the wrong we've done. Your account is unrighteous through and through. Whether it's things you've done knowingly or even unknowingly, there's no way for you to make up for it. But God is willing to take Christ's righteousness and count it to you. He's willing to see the righteousness of Christ when he looks at you. Isn't this amazing? Even for our own sense of self-worth, your identity, you look at your life, you think, I'm a mess. Who would love me? No, God has put Christ's righteousness. He sees you as though you lived a life like Jesus did. And on the basis of that righteousness, God is willing to declare you innocent. Just think about this. He's willing to acquit you of all your charges. Innocent, blameless, clean, justified. If you trust Jesus to be your redeemer. So, as I close, if this sounds too good to be true, because it does, right? It does sound too good to be true. Especially to those who maybe are hearing this for the first time, watching online or here. This is why we call it good news. Because it does feel too good to be true, but it is true. That's why it's called good news. The gospel means good news. God is righteous. 
we are not righteous and only God can make us righteous in his sight by faith in Jesus, our Redeemer. So as I close, I encourage you, if your heart is compelling you to respond, if, if you desire prayer, if you have questions about anything we've, you've heard, please reach out. Reach out to Pastor Ronald or one of the elders or, or just anyone who came with you today. Uh, message us if you're watching online because we would love to talk with you. As the worship team comes, I just want to pray for us and um, close us off. Would you join me in prayer? God, thank you. Thank you that you are righteous. There is no other conclusion we can reach. Help us, O oh God, see that we are not righteous. And we can never become righteous on our own. We need a Redeemer. Make us right in your sight by faith in Jesus, our Redeemer. In his name we pray. Amen.